1: Andy Baxter on the other side of that screen. Spencer Holbrook here. Andy, man, how's it going? Uh, good week. Good Purdue week uh, for sure.
0: Yeah, the Purdue report extended, as you would say. It's been a good week talking Purdue, talking recap of Maryland, which was a 20-point win, but it certainly didn't feel like that with the tone of the question sent Ryan Day's way this week. A lot of serious concerns with this running game. We'll talk about that a lot this show. But just it didn't feel like they
1: won by 20, Spencer. It didn't. Yeah. No, no, it's it's weird, man. Like I was writing about this game all week and it's like, oh, they really struggled here. Well, the linebackers didn't play great here. Oh, there's some concerns here. And it's like, oh yeah, they beat an undefeated team by 20. That's right. Uh, That happened. They covered the spread. So just a, a weird vibe this week.
0: Yeah. And that's always a reminder when covering this team, if you're a fan of this team, it's, you know, you have to judge it to a standard, as you've been saying, which I agree with, you know, you got to measure Ohio State up to the best teams in the Big Ten, which I was looking at, by the way, scoring defense, Ohio State's third nationally, the first two teams ahead of them, Michigan and Penn State. Those are two Big Ten East teams. Look, hey, it's the best division in college football right now, the Big Ten East. And there's two teams that I just mentioned that Ohio State still needs to play. One of them next week in Penn State and then, of course, Michigan at the end of the season. So that's the measuring stick right now, and that's why people are so critical because you can win by 20, but it doesn't matter if you lose those two games.
1: Yeah, my early take on the Ohio State-Penn State game is, as much as we've talked about the Ohio State offense, the Penn State offense has struggled maybe even more, especially with big plays. So we'll get to that next week. This week, though, um, I don't have to tell the people watching right now what it means to go to Purdue. Um, I think everybody understands what it means to go to Purdue. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it many times in my short time on earth. Um, The people watching have definitely seen it during their time. It is just the reality of going to Purdue and it has to be talked about because it's not like a, Oh, that one time in 2018, this happened. It's every single time they go over there, something weird happens. And uh, yeah, it, it hasn't felt that way this week, but that means that your antenna should be up.
0: Right. Three and five since 2000 in Ross-Ade Stadium. As you said, it's a house of horrors for Ohio State there. I, I don't know. I mean, it is lining up better for the Buckeyes, I would say, considering that it's not a night game. There's rain in the forecast, which doesn't bode well for a Purdue team that commits a lot of penalties and turns the ball over quite a lot. I, I realize they have 13 fumbles in six games so far, and that's without rain so when you add the elements into mm-hmm. that equation that's not great for pulling an upset because if you're pulling an upset against a team that has your match in terms of talent you got to be clean and this Purdue team has just not been clean so far this year and they just don't have that superstar talent like they don't have that NFL wide receiver uh, Hudson Card's been a fine quarterback we'll talk about him later in the show but they don't have that like star player they can carve you up and so uh, I just don't think it's in the cards, uh, no pun intended,
1: this time around for Purdue. Yeah, and then you flip the flip it to the other side of the ball, and uh, the, the Buckeyes have their own issues uh, with uh, the offensive line play. I wrote about that. I well, actually kind of both wrote about it on Thursday at Uh Go get that for $1 for uh, the first month right now. But Ohio State's got issues, but Purdue's running defense might be like the cure for the common run game. Uh, Purdue gives up 153.8 yards a game. That's good for the number 85 run defense in the country. So if there was a week for Ohio State to maybe snap into it and look good going into that Penn State game next week, who has the number six run defense in the country, I think that this could be the time where Ohio State could be like, okay, there's some confidence to be built here. And uh, so I think that's one of the critical uh, components of Saturday that I'll be watching for.
0: It's definitely an opportunity. But again, with the elements, it goes both ways. Like how much is Ohio State going to be able to throw the football? We can only say so much today because the forecast will change. I'm just thinking back to the Northwestern game, and it's not going to be 40-mile-per-hour winds. It doesn't seem like at least. It seems to be closer to 20-mile-per-hour winds. But again, with the precipitation, I think it's going to be like – I think there's over a 50% chance of rain right now. So how much can Kyle McCord throw? That'll be interesting to see. We haven't seen him in a rain game yet. And, you know, like a rain game. CJ Stroud only threw for 76 yards like they had to run the ball but when you do that you become one-dimensional so the only way they became two-dimensional with that was running CJ Stroud calling his number so they were a little bit more unpredictable I wonder what Ohio State will have to do if it becomes one-dimensional can they rely on the run game in that fashion because then it's really they know it's coming can you do it well and that was the problem last week against Maryland when they stacked the box Ohio State still tried to run they couldn't do it effectively.
1: Yep absolutely that's one of the things that Ohio State absolutely has to clean up is they've got to get to the second level. I think that's where Maryland kind of got them the the most is there were just linebackers running free. And so for the Buckeyes, it hinges on that. For Purdue, I think it hinges on a little bit of uh, Purdue magic. There's not really – like if you told me to build a case for Purdue to win this game, I don't think I could unless you say like, well, it's in West Lafayette. And then you're like, okay, well, Purdue can definitely win then. Um, so that's – like. That's one of the weird things about the keys to this game that we talk about is just like what's the path there and how does Ohio State uh, avoid that path? And so I think for Ohio State, my first key is just going to be to be clean. Like the, no turnovers. Kyle McCord, uh, you have one turnover on the year. Or one interception, I think you have a f- he has a fumble as well. So you get two turnovers on the year. Continue that. Be clean. Uh, You know, the running backs, be clean. Wide receivers, don't fumble anything. Special teams, clean it up. And if you're clean, I don't think there's a really good chance that you're going to lose this game.
0: Yeah, I think the only way Purdue pulls this off is, you know, you have to go down the checklist of everything they need. I think they need a special teams touchdown or a serious special teams miscue by Ohio State, which doesn't seem out of the realm possibility at this point, considering how bad special teams were last week. Aside from Jaden Fielding, who's been perfect this season, and that probably doesn't get talked about enough. He's seven of seven right now. And I know he hasn't been tested in terms of kicking a 50 yarder or anything beyond that distance, but he's been pretty solid. Otherwise though, concerns on special teams In a game like this, we have a team trying to pull an upset that's clearly outmatched special teams is a big area of emphasis for those kinds of teams. That's where they feel like they can win. I think Purdue is, is probably going to put a lot of effort into that. Uh, and then. As far as the offense goes, I would just say for Ohio State, you know, staying ahead of the sticks. Don't get behind in schedule. I mean, that was something that Kamakor talked about, you know, where he can help the running game is complete more passes on first down. His first down stats were great last week against Maryland. But in the beginning of the game, he also missed some throws in first and 10, which then sets the offense up in second and 10. When you try to run in second and 10, everyone kind of knows what's happening. You know, you're usually not going to go pass, pass. It's pass, and run in that situation. So he said, you know, I can help. That running game, if I complete more passes on first and 10, we're in a third and six, third and five, that helps the run game. So I would say stay ahead of the sticks.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I asked Kyle McCord if he would rather have watched the film on two for seven for 14 yards or uh, 17 for 22 for uh, 314 yards and or for 306 yards. And he said he would much rather watch the 17 for 22, but he understands that he's got to clean a lot of stuff up very obvious answer, but it's good to at least hear him say that and understand, like, hey, he's got to be better earlier in games. You know, you can't fall behind against Penn State 10 nothing like they did against Maryland. You can't go into a stadium sleepy against Penn State next week, which is why one of my other keys is start fast. Like, get, get out of the gate and show everybody that you mean business right, off, right out the gate. Like, the weird thing to me is it's not been like a thing where Kyle McCord starts slow every week. Indiana, they scored on the opening possession. Youngstown State, they scored on the opening possession. Uh, Western Kentucky, they scored on the opening possession. And now you've got two straight games where they don't score on the opening possession, and we think that he's got something wrong to start. I don't think it's something particularly wrong. It's just two straight games now. They haven't started well. Well, that three straight becomes a trend. So I think one of the biggest keys is just start quickly. Like get out, score some points early, complete a few passes early, get a nice run game going early, and I think you'll be able to settle in a lot more than, oh, hey, you just got one yard on the first carry of the game, and now you start to press when you're the offensive line, or, oh, you just skip pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. for an incompletion on your first on pl- your first pass play. Now you're trying to press to get that first completion under your belt and get into a rhythm. So I think that there's a level of pressing there with this offense, whether they want to admit it or not, that if you start quickly, can kind of be alleviated by default.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not only, you know, not having a good first drive, it's been not having a good first quarter. They've had zero points in the first quarter each of the last two games. Notre Dame game, they barely got points in that first half, right? So it's definitely been something where I agree with you, it's only two games, but it's been extended, not just the first drive. It's not like they're going three now and then flipping the switch and being great offensively. It's been an extended drought to start these games. So I'm not only watching for the first drive, they score points there. I'm watching the entire first quarter, maybe even the entire first half, because if you're an Ohio State fan, you want them to enter in a halftime at Ross State Stadium with like a 20-point lead. You want to feel safe, yeah. right? You don't want anything to happen with those demons that are inside that stadium to, to even have a threat of an upset. So I think getting off to a fast start and just – being able to fire in all cylinders is a good thing for this entire offense, not just for Kyle McCord, but I think you'll see the running game have more success if that happens too.
1: Yeah. And I thought Brian Hartline's answer on Wednesday night about passing to set up the running game was really, really interesting. And it sounded really like almost like remedial or basic, but it holds some truth and somebody asked him if you could set up the pass to to get to the run. And he said, well, if you pass the ball 10 more times, that's 10 fewer reps you get in the running game. And so you're hurting your running game by default by not running the ball. So it's interesting, right? Like those things go hand in hand, but you don't want to just start eliminating runs for the pass. But like the running game can certainly be helped by a fast start by Kyle McCord can certainly be helped by, uh, receivers, not named Marvin Harrison jr. Um, stepping up, getting open, Kyle McCord finding them. He seems to be looking at Marvin Harrison Jr. Every time a play breaks down, he looks directly at Marvin. And that's a good thing, right? Like, you want him doing that. But also, like, that that's drawing more attention to Marvin. It's making it probably a little easier to defend the run game if you don't have to defend the entire field at all times. So, I, there's a lot of things that this offense can do, Andy. They're leaving a lot of meat on the bone. And it's weird to say for a Ryan Day offense, but that's just the truth right now. This is like a, a defensive team right now.
0: Yeah, well, a defensive team that also leads the Big Ten in passing offense. It's so weird. (laughs) So, like, I don't know. They're still throwing for an average of over 300 yards per game. Kyle McCord just says he's high in passing yards last week. He's been over 300 yards multiple times this season. So, I know a lot of people want to hit the panic button, and a lot of people aren't happy with this offense. I get it. It's standard. The rushing offense is pretty bad right now. I will give you that. But uh, overall, just because they're not scoring 40 doesn't mean this isn't a good offense. And one thing that McCord also mentioned is like, we're just sniffing the potential here. Like we're not where we could be. And I think that's exciting. I think that's definitely something you got to buy into if you're an Ohio State fan, like you're five games in and yeah, you should be further along in terms of this offensive line and the run game. But you have to be pretty excited about some of the glimpses you see with this offense when it gets going, you know, whether it's the Western Kentucky game, whether it's the final drive against Notre Dame, whether it's last week in the second half against Maryland, like, when things go into full drive and they kick it into gear, like it's a pretty exciting offense to watch. And then combine that with the defense that you just mentioned. I mean, that's where you get excited about this team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because the defense is going to find ways to hold teams down. Like it found ways to hold Notre Dame down, despite Notre Dame having a lot of success in the running game. It found ways to slow Western Kentucky down. Western Kentucky has one of the most potent offenses in America it found ways to slow down a Maryland team that had its way for a couple different drives there against Ohio state, but Ohio state made very quick adjustments and figured things out very, very quickly to alleviate all of the concerns you thought you had. I think, I think Maryland had 31 total yards after their first drive of the second half touchdown drive, which is just remarkable um, considering what Maryland was doing in the first half against Ohio state and, and kind of moving the ball when they needed to. So uh this defense can lead the way, like you said, the offense can be explosive, but there's a lot of cans here and we're not saying there's a lot of things that we for sure know. And I think that's one of the things that's frustrating is like you see all of these things, but you don't – you see them all as like potential, but you don't see it realized just yet. But also this is a team that's only five games into the season. We say only knowing that after Saturday – they'll be halfway through the season, but also they're only halfway through the season after Saturday. So like there's plenty of room to still grow.
0: Yeah. Well, they hope that they're only a third of the way through the season right now. So, I mean, there's always the potential for an extra chapter if they get to where they want to be and and achieve their goals. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that we've already learned a lot about this team. We've learned a lot about who Colin McCord is as a leader uh, who he is, is, you know, a, a quarterback in general. We've learned a lot about this offensive line and what we we don't know still about it. We've learned about this defense in the second year of Jim Knowles' system. Now, every week is a referendum with that group. We're going to constantly be grading them, saying, did they pass the test? Did they pass the test? That's going to be every week. So we have learned some things. Uh, I guess I wanted to shift into some of, the, like, the storylines this week that I find interesting. Like, I'm going to start with, Emeka Buka potentially not playing this week. We don't know for sure, but it seems like it's training that way. There's a lot of talk about who would replace him. I'm of the opinion that it's going to be Xavier Johnson, Uh, just judging by the way Brian Hartline was speaking, judging by the way they hold him in high regard as a captain, as someone has contributed at a high level. Think back to the Peach Bowl. Think back to Notre Dame last year. I feel like he fits in in the slot. It's also where we saw him against Maryland when Emeka was hurt. Um, I know there's other names that maybe you want to talk about that could be a potential in that rotation,
1: yeah, it's it's Carnell Tate, it's Brandon Innes, it's uh, you know some people have said Jaden Ballard. Um, the bottom line is there's a lot of names there, but right now, other than Xavier Johnson, it's just a lot of names. So like Brandon Innes is coming along pretty nicely. I think Brian Hartland said you know potentially he could see some time at Part returner at some point. He has that ability, but we've never seen him in game action catching passes. Carnell Tate does a lot of good things and Ohio State loves his maturity, loves his approach. People in the building still are raving about him behind the scenes, but he's more of an outside receiver. He's not going to be in the slot as much. Uh, Jaden Ballard has not been able to get on the field uh, a lot during his career. We don't, we haven't really seen him a lot. So like everyone that you run down the list of, it's a lot of, well, what about that guy? Well, what about Xavier Johnson? So I, I, agree with you that it more than likely will be Xavier Johnson, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you saw slot Marv and then, uh, Carnell Tate on the field a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw, uh, you know, two wide receivers, two tight ends and, uh, Xavier Johnson in the backfield, um, to kind of switch it up a little bit and and have that change of pace. He kind of is that scat back who can do almost whatever Ohio state wants to do with him. He's, he's really versatile. So, I would think that it's going to be Carnell Tate, but I I do like the, the mystery of those other options, right? Because, like, even Marvin Harrison Jr. is an option. We talked about him a lot in the offseason as, like, a slot guy who can do those things, and he creates matchup problems. So if you can split out Xavier Johnson, you can put Marvin Harrison Jr. in the slot, you've alleviated your problem if you don't have a Mecca Ibuka without really switching the personnel at all.
0: Yeah, well, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s touchdown, against Maryland was from the slot. We've seen him in the slot this season uh, we will continue a to bit. see regardless of personnel I, I think that xavier johnson is better the more he's on the field the problem with xavier johnson is if you bring him in for 10 snaps a game you know they're going to get the ball to him especially when he's motioning and that jet motion they like to do it sometimes goes to Meko Buka, sometimes goes to xavier johnson you know he's getting the ball it's pretty predictable but if he's on the field for 30 plus snaps he's lining up on the perimeter he's lining up in the slot he's lining up in the backfield you don't know if he's getting the ball you don't know when he's getting the ball He is much more effective, in my opinion, the more he plays. I think he's a very good football player. Uh, We've seen what he can do on special teams. We've seen him come up in these big moments. Don't forget, against Notre Dame this year, he almost had the play of the game to go 40 yards downfield. And we're like, oh, wow, Xavier Johnson's going to do it again against Notre Dame? So, like, he's a very good football player. And I think that sometimes his impact is diminished just by virtue of how many guys he has ahead of him. Because I think when he's just put on the field for 10 to 15 snaps, like – it's quite honestly a little bit predictable. And I don't think you get like to see his full potential. But when he gets to play more, I don't know. I think he.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by it because they've they've got a lot of things that they could do with this offense with Xavier Johnson. They've got a lot of things that they can do with this offense in general. But one of my other storylines, Andy, I'll I'll switch gears a little bit, stay on the offensive side. Travian Henderson is back. And it's important to note that. Uh, the more I've thought about this week, Ryan day has made it a point time and time and time again, to make sure to mention Trevion Henderson will be back. He will be healthy. Uh, he said it after Saturday, he said, yeah, we expect him back next week. He said it on Tuesday. Trey is good to go. He's, I think he just said yes. Uh, and then, uh, today on his radio show, Ryan day said, yeah, he's back at full strength. He's ready to go. So at every turn this week, Ryan day has mentioned it was only precautionary. It was only something that was going to hold him out. Um, he could have played, I think he even said, on Saturday after the game, uh, but he didn't, and now he's going to be back. And that is a huge boost for this running game because even though the, the offensive line isn't blocking it um, as well as it probably should be, um, Travion's just on a different level, man. And, like, I know Chip is good. I'm not disparaging Chip Tranham at all. I know Myon Williams is good. I'm not going to disparage Myon Williams at all. There is a difference between Chip Tranum and Myon Williams and Travion Henderson, and the way he hits the hole, the way he can bounce out of things, the way he runs through things. It's its just different, and that's really exciting if you're in Ohio State to get that back in the lineup to maybe add another boost to this running game because, again, if Purdue is going to have the 85th-ranked rush defense in the country and it's going to rain, Ohio State's going to be able to build some confidence, you would think, all with that offensive line, with that number one running back, and really start to push toward okay, build some confidence before Penn State.
0: Trayvon Henderson's like that eraser or like a whiteout. If something's not right, he can just turn it into okay, it's fixed. You know, like he can make a poorly blocked play turn into a 10 plus yard gain. And right now, Ohio State's not getting many of those on the ground. I think they've got 12 runs of 10 or more yards all season. That is by far last in the big ten. Every other team has at least four more of those runs than Ohio State right yeah. now. The explosiveness can come from any of those backs. We've seen Chip Traynham break away for a 40-yard touchdown. We've seen my Williams in years past break away for touchdowns. We know that Evan Pryor and Dallin Hayden, if they were on the field, could probably do that too. The problem is when the blocking isn't very good, who can do that? And I think really the only guy right now to fix that problem is Trayvon Henderson. I mean, we saw him do it against Notre Dame. It was a pretty well-blocked play on that 61-yard touchdown, but he still had to bounce outside for that one. Maybe that was the design. I'm not sure. But he is someone that can turn something into nothing, or other way around, nothing into something. And he can uh, hit some home runs for Ohio State. But I just think that you don't want to rely on that, right? Like, that, that is good to have in your back pocket. But it can mask the issue, too.
1: I agree with that to an extent. But if you have a running back who is special, oh, yeah. the way I think Travion is, use him to mask that because, uh, you know, like, okay, here's an example. Ohio State last year knew that it was – the offensive line was good last year. Georgia's defensive line was on a different level. So what do you do to mask that? You roll C.J. Stroud out a little bit. You do some things with your offense that that, uh, really did mask the way that Georgia was able to get after C.J. Stroud, and you didn't see him pressured as often because he was outside the pocket far more often things like that. So I just, like – I understand, like you don't want to mask everything, but at this point in the year, if the offensive line looks the way it does, do everything you can to mask the deficiencies. Oh yeah, thirty-two the football because he's really good with the football.
0: Oh, hundred percent. I'm just saying that it could be a little bit misleading if they run for a lot of yards and it's because Travion hits two home runs and you look at the box score, like it's not not saying. Yeah, it, you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying it might not be the answer to all the offensive lines. problem. Mm-hmm. That's All I'm saying. <laughs> like, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's called the Notre Dame conundrum where you run for 126 yards and you celebrate that. But then you remember that 61 of them came on one run and otherwise you average less than two yards a carry. <laughs> so yeah. that's that was the problem at Notre Dame. Again, the problem, uh, the biggest problem against Maryland was you did the exact same thing you did against Notre Dame except you had an extra week to prepare for a Maryland front that wasn't as good. And you didn't have the home run ball, And, and then that's when you get, I think 27 for 62. And, and it looks just, frankly, it looked bad.
0: Yeah. It looked bad. And I will say Maryland came out with a good game plan. Brian Williams, that defense coordinator for Maryland. I I thought he came out with some interesting defensive fronts. I think that they kind of pulled out all the stops, at least in the first half to to limit Ohio State offensively. So like, it wasn't like this was a bad Maryland team. Again, they're 5-1, and one, and they might win eight or nine games. So, yeah, but I, I agree that you had an extra week and they came out looking sluggish altogether, really. I mean, I'm still thinking about that start special teams-wise. I mean, it, really nothing you can do there for John Furlman. Just a tough break. Uh, one of those guys where if he makes a mistake, everyone's going to shout about it. But if he does his job, no one's going to notice it. So, tough deal for that start but obviously Ohio State can't afford that even on the road you know it's hard to come back from something like that like Notre Dame the slow start they got bailed out by that defense I mean if the Ohio State defense didn't play as well as it did to start that game against Notre Dame who knows how that game would have went and same thing with Maryland right you know Maryland was up seven nothing driving they have a fourth and one to go for it and Ohio State gets to stop if they score there go up 14 nothing who knows how that game goes from there
1: And then the very next drive for Maryland, they had a third and goal and didn't score on that drive either. I think they got a field goal out of that drive to make it 10-0. So, like, could have been been 21-0 with the slow start on offense. Uh, Another storyline I wanted to kind of talk, Andy, is, like, clean up the penalties. Can you go penalty-free? We have not seen a penalty-free game from Ohio State. I'm not asking for – Uh, zero penalties for zero yards, that is a very tough ask across a 60-minute game. Even the most disciplined teams take some penalties. That's just the way football is. However, holdings, false starts, uh, too many men in the backfield, Um, defensive pass interference. We've seen that now from Davis and in a time. We've seen it from Denzel Burke at a time. This defense is playing really well. But there are some – penalties that I think need to be cleaned up before you go into a top 10 game next week at Penn State.
0: Yeah. I mean, Purdue has penalty issues and, and that's one of the things that's holding them back right now. Ohio State shouldn't be in that same conversation, right? So I think they're 10th and 11th right now in the big 10 in terms of penalties per game. Purdue is even further down in penalty yards. So again, that's something they keep shooting themselves in the foot with. But yeah, Ohio State, 10 penalties last week against Maryland. Uh, Ryan Day one of the penalties, uh, sideline interference. Look, they've had a couple of those where, like, you're going to take your defensive pass interference penalties. You're going to take the defensive holdings. Like, I remember when I covered Boston College and Jeff Halfley, who coached Ohio State, of course, he always used to say to me, like, we're okay with the defensive pass interference penalties from time to time. Like, we want our defensive backs to play aggressive. And if that happens from time to time, okay, we'll deal with that. It's the penalties that are, like, the illegal formation penalty that Xavier Johnson uncharacteristically had on special teams that, you know, pushed that punt return even further down to midfield for Merrick. It's the, you know, illegal hands to the face. It's the holding penalties where it's technique things. Those are the things where you're like, we could do without that. Even Ryan days, like the sideline interference, like you could do without that. Uh, Mick Mirati, I think was called for one earlier this season too. And then that was not as bad in terms of timing, but just in general, like, you can do without certain penalties. Other ones are a little bit unavoidable, especially with some some Big Ten officials, as we all know.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Big Ten officiating has not been great. And Ryan Day gets asked about it, and it's always funny, him trying to avoid fines in um, every turn. But Ryan Day did say that he ran on Monday for those penalties. Uh, do you believe him? Oh, yeah. I think so.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's uh, it's part of the culture, right? Everyone's got to run if you commit a penalty, so.
1: Andy, I started running uh, recently. I also started changing my diet, and that is thanks to the, our friends over at HelloFresh. Uh, crazy schedule can make it easy to fall back on your dinner recipe rut. Keep meal time exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every week with HelloFresh. There's always something delicious to discover with HelloFresh. And dude, I'm trying to lose some weight. I'm trying to eat healthy, but also HelloFresh makes it great and easy. But man. You talk about the fall flavor line that includes apple cider cake with caramel sauce, uh, the mini pumpkin cheesecake that Matt and I talked about on earlier today on, on the Letterman Lounge. Uh, they do an appetizer, the barbecue pulled pork nachos. Like, I don't know. Like, there's so many different directions to go. They, You know, we get healthy food, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, mini pumpkin cheesecake. Oh, it's so good. I did all that. And I got 50% off and free shipping because I used the promo code 50 Letterman at checkout at hellofresh.com. Go to hellofresh.com. Use that promo code 50 Letterman for 50% off plus free shipping at HelloFresh America's number one meal kit. I don't have to say much more because the food is just so good. Andy, I know that you know that. And the meals are so easy. They just deliver right to your doorstep. And then you've got all the ingredients for a great meal.
0: Steal, especially this time of year. You know, uh, it's better than Instacart too. Like, it's just it's there. It's ready for you. You know, you're able to just get it done. And with our schedule and everyone's busy schedule at this time of year, holidays are coming up.
1: It's a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, What else is a good thing is this Ohio State defense. I want to see another step forward, man. Like that's bottom line. You want to keep. You want to every week, like you said earlier in the show, and I think it's the the best thing that you can say is the best thing you could say as. It's me, Tim. No, pumpkin cheesecake. Cheesecake. If I said cheese, then I don't think that would be very good. And HelloFresh, everything at HelloFresh is good. But this defense, Andy, like, every week they're going to be judged on how well they played against this team and then how well they played against this team. Uh, there's a guy on our message board. He's great. Um, but he always tries to grade the defense and grade the offensive line. And it's like, okay, if we only give up 14 points to this team, then they get a C. But if they give up 20 points to this team, then it's a D. And I'm just, like, I don't care about the grades, but I care about defensive progress. And I think that starts with the linebackers. So I think one of the storylines of this game that I'm watching for is, do the linebackers look better? Because they just, they don't look bad. Tommy Eckenberg had 13 tackles. So, like, they're not playing poorly. Something just looks a little wonky with them right now. And they're kind of getting neutralized by running games so I'd like to see them take a step forward this week.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's tough. Like, these missed tackles stick out in everyone's mind, and that is first and foremost what people think about with the Steel Chambers getting beat on a one-on-one with Talia Tungavaiola and Tommy Eigenberg coming in and whiffing on a tackle. I think it was a third down. Look, like, I get it. That's going to be burned into your mind. But Tommy Eigenberg has a lower missed tackle rate than he did last year right now. And I wrote about him this week, and I think the one thing's getting unnoticed right now is that this defense is one of the reasons why it's as good as it is right now is because he's the quarterback of that defense. They're relying more on his mind than his aggressiveness. They're blitzing him less. He's the one doing all the callouts. He's he's doing the checks. He's communicating everything for this defense. He's basically Jim Knowles on the field. Jim Knowles always said he hasn't made a legal tackle since the '80s or whatever. That's because Tommy Eichenberg's the one doing it for him. And look, a quarterback of the offense is not going to be perfect. Kyle McCord misses throws early part of the game. Quarterback of the defense is not going to be perfect either. But he's the one that's at the center of all of it. So I think when people watch Tommy Eigenberg, they need to keep that in mind. Like he is keeping this defense on the same page. He is a big reason why they're seeing certain things. They molded this defense around Tommy Eigenberg. Before the season started, it was the ideal situation would be have 11 Tommy Eichenbergs on the field in the sense that they could all read and react like him, not even react, anticipate like him. And they're starting to do that now. So I agree with you. Linebacker play could be better. I just think people need to hear that too because when they watch it, I don't think they're thinking about that. Uh, but I think Tommy Eichenberg is like so
1: key to this defense right now. I think one of the problems, Andy, is like, I don't want to speak for Ohio State fans. So Ohio State fans in the comments, tell me if I'm an idiot. but not. I mean, you're going to say that anyway, of course, because I am. Uh, is that there's CJ Hicks on the bench. So, like, if there were two Cody Simons on the bench, and I think Cody's a really good player who is going to get more reps, according to Jim Knowles. Not according to me. Jim Knowles said he's got to get more reps for Cody Simon. So if there was two Cody Simons on the bench as the, as the second string instead of Cody Simon, and by the way, C.J. Hicks, who's a former five-star from Ohio, who everybody wants to see, that makes it very enticing for fans to say, well, that there's a missed tackle right there. Put C.J. Hicks in. Well, there's one missed tackle out of 17 tackles. Put C.J. Hicks in. And that's hard to not fall back on because you always want to see the young five-star athlete who does a lot of things, and that's understandable. I would love to see C.J. Hicks get more reps. But it's just that's not the case right now. And I uh, thought Jim Knowles was pretty candid in the way he handled that when he was asked on Tuesday about CJ Hicks. You know, he's a great young man, he's a great athlete. But there's just kind of a log jam. And that's that's the term that I used. He didn't use it, but I used it in my story on Lettermanroe.com on, t- on Wednesday morning is that log jam is just keeping CJ Hicks off the field. And it's it's a shame because you would like to see him get some run, but it's the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah, the way I'm looking at this right now, like it's not a one-to-one comp, but Dallin Hayden is a similar player, but on the other side of the ball. We know what Dallin Hayden can be. We actually have seen Dallin Hayden perform. We don't really know what C.J. Hicks can do defensively. We've only seen him really play special teams, snaps, and sparing defensive snaps so far at Ohio State. Obviously, they're both great talents. But even with Dallin Hayden, they're trying to save him. They know they're going to lose a lot of running back talent, potentially three guys they're going to lose this offseason. They want Down Hayden to be a big fixture of this offense next year. Linebacker, they're going to lose probably Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers. They're going to need C.J. Hicks next year. So, like, it's not like they don't value these guys. It's just that they have a plan to build a roster and they need to manage it. And I think that's one of the most underrated difficulties for college football in general, especially now with Transfer Portal, NIL. you got to manage these guys not only as people, but also as players and figuring out how many years they have left, if they will transfer, if they won't, what do they need? And hell-wise, like there's so many things to deal with. I think right now in my head, I'm thinking of Dallin Hayden and C.J. Hicks in the same wavelength because they're both players that could be big, big impact players next season, but right now are probably on the back.
1: Yeah, Dallin Hayden, of course, planning to redshirt, which was a huge development. Uh, this week in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, kind of saw that coming. Once you didn't see him on the field Saturday against Maryland, despite the fact that Travion Henderson was out and the run game was struggling, uh, you'd think if he's going to play this year, some maybe a change of pace there. But I think Ohio State has a good plan for him, um, and it's probably for the best for everybody um, that that happens. It still stinks because you remember last year against Maryland and how good he looked in that game, uh, leading into Michigan, and then he had a good carry against Georgia, a couple couple of nice carries there. So. You know, it's, it's just, it's one of those things, like you said, it's roster management. And uh, one of the interesting things is we get into the meat of the schedule, Rand actually called it the beef of the schedule, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, it's just little things like that, that come up that you wouldn't really normally think of, but they are huge parts of the season. Like one of the running backs who helped save the Maryland game last year is not really playing this year. Uh, one of the guys that Jim Knowles said was going to be unleashed this off season, uh, is not really getting a lot of reps. So like those kind of things are not like earth shattering for the national championship picture, but they are interesting uh to Ohio State and to Ohio State fans.
0: Yeah, and they can change too, right? Like if there's injuries in the running back room, we might see Dallin Hayden. Like the question I have right now is is Dallin Hayden running back four? Or is it just that they know they want to save in a year, they want to burn the red shirt. And they, they're looking at the long picture or the big picture view right now. Uh, it's probably mm-hmm. the latter, in my opinion. Like, he started the college football playoff. Like, Chip Traynor was on the roster. He could have played in that game. Don Hayden was the starter for that game. So, like, I get that Chip has had a great offseason. I love watching Chip Traynor run the football. But, like, I don't think this means Down Hayden's running back four. I just think that they have big plans and they want to save a year of his eligibility. As for C.J. Hicks, I don't know. Like, he was so impressive in that spring game. And it makes you kind of like water your mouth and just be like, wow, I want to see more. Like this was really exciting. Uh, I don't know if it's just because Cody Simon is demanding more snaps. Like that's what you mentioned. And that's what Jim Knowles said. Like he's just earned that. And maybe that's taking the snaps that CJ Hicks would have had also the Jack at that point, when he said that CJ Hicks would be unleashed, the Jack was still a big component of this defense that we thought we would see this year. It's pretty clear that that's, not really part of this defense anymore so i think that's another part of that conversation as well
1: r.i.p the jack uh didn't expect for that to come up but uh now we got a drink because every time the jack comes up you gotta take a drink uh isn't that how that works <laughs> should ah, be maybe not well it's five o'clock somewhere it's actually 7, uh, 7 right now which means west virginia and houston is now on the dana Hol- dana holgerson bowl so uh i hope that you stay with us until 7 30 if not go watch uh the whole go because I'm going to watch it when I get done here. Um, Andy, you said that you wanted to talk about Hudson Card at the beginning of the show. So, let's talk about Hudson Card and this pretty offense that I don't see as a big challenge to Ohio State. But Graham Harrell, the offense coordinator, um, it's it's an interesting offense. Say that.
0: Yeah, we were joking. You know, with, with our colleague Tim May, it's like with explosives, right? Like sometimes they can blow back in your face, and uh, that's that's kind of this Purdue offense. Like they they actually have the second most plays of ten or more yards in the Big Ten. Uh, they're only tied for seventh in terms of twenty-plus yard plays, but they can make some things happen offensively. Hudson Card against the quarterback, transferred from Texas, uh, he's a redshirt junior, and he shows you a lot of things that you would like. He's a dual threat guy; he can run the football as well, but you know, he also makes some mistakes. He's got five interceptions. I already mentioned Purdue as a team has uh, 13 fumbles through six games. So they're going to turn the football over. Penalties, as I already mentioned, pulled this offense back as it is. But they do have some explosive tendencies uh, on, on the good side of things, and they can drive the football downfield. He's actually, Hudson Carter's ranked third among Big Ten quarterbacks in big-time throws for 20 or more air yards, so he can throw the ball deep. And uh, but the thing is he holds the ball for a really long time. So if you're trying to like look at how many sacks Ohio State has had and you're you're kind of still like itching for more after last week, you might get some this time because Hudson Card holds the ball longer than any quarterback in the Big Ten, taking bad sacks, pushing Purdue out of field goal range has just been a problem this year. So that's something to watch
1: out for this week. Yeah, he's a very erratic quarterback. I would, I would use that word to describe him. Um you know, but also he's the kind of guy who on any given day can kind of light you up. You know, he was 14 of 22 against Alabama last year when uh, Quinn Ewers got hurt. He was 21 of 27 for three Oh three and three touchdowns against West Virginia, just out of nowhere. And that was the final game he played because Quinn Ewers came back and they were just like, ah, Hudson off to the bench, you go. And uh off to West Lafayette, he went instead. Uh, so he he's not, he's played in games, but like big time games before, he's not immune to this. And he's seen big time defenses, so I think that's one of the things that I like about him is that he's not going to be afraid of the moment. Um, one of the things I don't like about him is, like you said, this offense very boomer bust. As Tim said, that he was Tim was talking about fireworks in somebody's hand and blowing up in your face, and I think it was his brother. Uh, great anecdote there. We'll, we'll see, you'll see that on bull predictions on Friday. Just a hilarious, hilarious uh, anecdote that he he had to tell. So I thought that that was great.
0: Um, yeah, well, but he, his, it, no one died. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: that, that was the biggest key. That yeah. was the biggest key for him. Uh, so this – and for the Ohio State defense, like, he, he's he got a good arm. Now, the, the rain may tell you that he doesn't. The wind may tell you that he doesn't. But he can he can test Denzel Burke. If you told me that he tested uh, Davis Nygbinosan, I'd believe you. If you told me that he – hit a couple of those slot fades against Sonny Styles that kind of plagued him last week, I'd I'd believe you.
0: Well, and I think the quarterback run is going to come into play. He's got 53 carries so far this year. Again, the rushing yards don't show because he's taking a bunch of sacks, A, because he just takes sacks because he holds the ball too long, B, because (laughs) his offensive line is not great. Uh, And so he can run the football, even though it shows 35 rushing yards with 53 carries. That's not accurate. Like, he can run – the football pretty well he's got three rushing touchdowns this year I think if it rains a lot that is something that I think Purdue will go to with the quarterback run of course Ohio State did a pretty good job bottling that up with Talia Tungvaliola last week uh, but last year there were times where quarterback run was kind of a problem for this Ohio State team so I think we'll see a lot of the quarterback run if it does indeed rain the other thing I was going to mention is like I-, I mentioned this in the beginning of the show but Purdue doesn't have that like NFL quality wide receiver. The closest thing to it right now is is Deion Burks, who is probably the fastest player on that team. He's got four touchdown receptions. He's a deep threat, uh, 396 receiving yards so far. And then they got two tight ends in Max Clare and Garrett Miller, who are both some big targets for Hudson Card, especially in the red zone. So those are two other guys to watch for. But, yeah, not an extremely flashy Purdue offense. Uh, Ryan Walters is a defensive head coach. Uh, as you mentioned, Graham Harrell is the offensive coordinator. They're just trying to rebuild this thing, basically.
1: Yeah, I, I would also we would also be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, or at least mention Devin Mockaby, the, the running back for Purdue, who, who's a pretty good player, but now is caught in a Graham Harrell air raid. And I just I don't know how much the running backs are are valued as much in this. So that's I guess that's the Purdue uh, breakdown there, the Purdue offense for the Ohio State. Offense, Andy, this Purdue defense will play man to man coverage and then play more man to man coverage and play, you guessed it, more man to man coverage. It's a Ryan Walters thing. That's what he does. When he was at Missouri, he was playing more man-to-man coverage than any defensive coordinator in America. When he was at Illinois, he was playing more man-to-man coverage than any defensive coordinator in the country, and he had NFL players to do it, which is what made Illinois so good last year. Devin, Devin Witherspoon and a couple other guys that you're watching uh, on Sundays now were in that Illinois secondary last year. Well, guess what? There's no NFL corners, no like high-level NFL corners that are you're going to see on uh, Kuiper's big board. Um, the top 10 at their position for Purdue right now. And so that's what you mean. That's the other part of that coin that you're talking about where they're building this thing up is that defense is they're building things up right now. And so there's going to be opportunities, even in the rain and even in a little bit of wind for Ohio State to move the ball through the air due to this secondary playing man-to-man against this passing attack specifically. Because if Comichord gets into a rhythm with these wide receivers, I think it could be a long day for the, the Purdue secondary.
0: Yeah, he's getting the ball pretty quickly because this Purdue team does have 21 sacks in the year, and they've got some pretty good head rushers, Nick Scowerton and Kyra Jenkins, top of the Big Ten in sacks right now. So that is something to watch out for. I mean, Ohio State did give up three sacks against Maryland. Now some of those were on Kyle McCord, quite frankly. Uh, there was also an intentional grounding that may or may not should have been called. I don't know. Up to you to decide. That also counted as a sack. But, again, three sacks against Maryland. We give up more. This week against Purdue um, and then also in the back end. I know they don't have great corners right now, but they do have one of the best safeties in the Big Ten. It's a freshman and mm-hmm. Dylan uh, Dieneman, I think, is the way you pronounce his last name. But he's a name to know for sure going forward. Like, if I don't know how to pronounce it now, I probably will in a year or two because he's already got 53 tackles and three interceptions. He's someone that's come on a lot quickly, quicker than they expected. Um, and someone to definitely watch for in that back end. Like, they got some guys, basically, was what I'm trying to say, on that defense, some some real game changers. But as a whole, they're giving up 27 points per game, and there's definitely a room for Ohio State to, to light up the scoreboard if they can. Yeah, there's some good
1: players in that defense. But, like, right now, there's not a uh, – George Karloftis, his younger brother actually is there, uh, Yanni. Um, there's not a – uh, Ryan Kerrigan, as Ohio State fans remember from, I think, that 2009 game where, I mean, nobody could block him. So, like, it's it's not a Purdue defense that you're, like, used to, where there's one guy and then the rest of the the team is kind of like supporting cast. It's all a lot of supporting cast. And so that's where I think Ohio State's going to be able to, to kind of take over in this game. And that's why I've got Ohio State uh, winning relatively big. But we don't give out predictions here because you got to watch both predictions for that on. Friday. Doug Shepard says, I'm going to watch the game on mute until 730. Thank you, Doug. Go watch that Dana Bowl and just and listen to this content. We really appreciate it, Doug. And Lisa says, I appreciate your analysis. Thank you, Lisa, for being here. We appreciate it, as always. Andy, uh, we got a few more minutes here before I get to gloat a little bit. Uh, I know you're very excited for that final few minutes. Um, but before we do, um, which Buckeyes? Which Buckeyes you want to see? Who do you want to see step up, Andy?
0: Can I pick the entire offensive line?
1: Sure, by all means.
0: <laughs> One guy, like, it's like when the offensive line falls starts, and you're like, I don't know who who was it. Yeah, it's all of them. So, um, I don't know. I, I think that whole group, this is a big week. Confidence builder, man. Like, this is an opportunity, especially if the elements come into play. Like, they know what you're going to do. You're probably going to have to run the ball. Do it well. That's what Brian Hartline said this week. Like, when you're most evaluated, it's when everything you're going to do and you still do it well. Okay. Like that's what they got to do this week. If it is indeed a rain game, uh, that's the offensive line for me. The running game has got to be better. Even if it's not perfect, better, they got to get four and three yards per carry, not one and two on those early downs.
1: I'm going to go since you took the entire offensive line, I I'll make it a little more specific just before I get to my actual person. I want to see Josh Fryer play better. He's been actually pretty good this year. Um, I, I don't think he's been poor um, for the year, but I think he probably had his worst game against Maryland. And that's not to be mean. That's just kind of the, the facts. One of the 12 has to be your worst. I think Josh Fryer had his worst against Maryland. So I would expect to see a better effort from him. I would expect to see a better performance from him. He's, we're going back to his home state. He loves the state of Indiana, but he loves playing in the state of Indiana. He played pretty well against Notre Dame, played pretty well in that start against Indiana. What's not to say he can't do it a third time, uh, up in West Lafayette. So i kind of watching that right tackle position, making sure that he looks a little better this week. So I feel good about him going against Chop Robinson and Abdul Carter next week in Penn State. The guy I'm going to go to, though, actually is Caden Curry. Um, Tim Mays is going to write about him, I think, on, on Friday for lettermanrow.com We'll get that coverage for $1 for the first month. But Caden, for all of the fanfare about his offense and being on the field for those 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 uh, the beef package the bison package, He's playing pretty well on defense, too. Had a tip pass, I think, uh, against Maryland, created some pressure, caused some havoc. And uh, that's a guy who just keeps, you know, keeps chugging along, man, and just keeps making some plays. So I want to see if that motor keeps turning this week and uh, he can make some plays against this Purdue offense, especially, like you said, Hudson Card likes to hold on to the ball.
0: Yeah. And that could be an opportunity for Mike Hall, who's going to be my next buck guy that needs to step up because Tyler Williams, every week this year, has played more and more snaps. Eventually, that's going to come to an end. I think that's probably this week because you can't play more than 70 for Tylee Williams. There might not even be 70 snaps this week. So, But Tylee Williams has been playing so well that he's going to start drawing attention away from Mike Hall. That gives him the opportunity to just wreak havoc in the backfield. And I think that'll come into play this week. A lot of attention right now in JT Tui-Molal. is all deserved. He's been playing great, not only as a pass rusher, but also as a run defender. I think we'll see a lot of Mike Hall in the backfield this week against Purdue.
1: My second one is going to be, I guess, kind of two and a half because I really did talk about Josh Fryer more than I wanted. Uh, my second one is going to be Ryan Day. Uh, we saw some runs to the field, which we don't see very often with Ryan Day. We saw some different stuff in the running game to try to get it going. I think that's going to continue this week, and if it does, that's only good news for Ohio State. If you see some experimental stuff in the running game that doesn't work, well, they're trying stuff. And that's one of the messages. It's like Justin Fry was talking about the scheme and talking about the, the coaching, but I kind of latched onto the scheme where, okay maybe that, uh, you know, zone to the boundary is not going to work. Okay, then how are you going to counteract that and, and try to find a different way to run the ball? Those are things that I'm waiting to see for. And that's and that's why the play caller is on my list here. Ryan Day uh, is going to have to step up and figure out a way to get the ball moving down the field on the ground. And I know that that goes down to execution on the field with players, but that also has to do with play call rhythm and and the way that you call those runs and what runs you call and to whom. So I'm I'm not saying Ryan Day necessarily needs to step up like it says on the bottom of the screen, but I'm going to be watching pretty closely of the cadence and rhythm of the running game as much as the execution of the run game, how they handle that.
0: Here's a little bit of a wild card and multiple guys with one theme. Uh, John Furlman, Jesse Murko, Jaden Fielding, uh, all special teams. OK, like this is a game where you need to be on your P's and Q- your P's and Q's special teams wise. Like if a team wants to upset you, they're going to try to emphasize that third phase of the game, whether it's a fake punt, whether it's trying to block a punt, whether it's trying to do all sorts of things to get an advantage in that area, because a lot of coaches believe that's one area of the game through just hard work and not necessarily talent. You can actually beat a team. And so Ohio State needs to be on its a game on special teams. It did not play an A game on special teams last week against Maryland. That's got to be key this time around.
1: My last one, um, hmm. I think I will go – man, I think I'll go Cody Simon. Like, if you're going to give him more reps, you got to step up. And Jim Knowles said he's going to he's get more reps. So, step up and show everyone what you've shown, obviously done Jim Knowles Sunday through Friday on the practice field. So that's kind of as simple as that. If, if Cody Simon has earned more reps, I want to see why. And so I think Cody needs to step up when he's in there, make some plays, and then uh, you'll really see why Jim Knowles talked about him so highly on Tuesday in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. What do you think?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think all these linebackers, as you said, could be better. You could always be better. Um, that's probably the pain point right now in the defense if there is one. So – excited to see all of it and you know let's see if Josh Proctor has another interception. <laughs> I feel like you know we say that every week's a referendum for this defense I feel like it, we're getting to the point where it doesn't need to be that way for Josh Proctor because he showed us enough uh, consistency at this point to kind of buy in and he's been great to watch so far. so
1: if you would have said that sentence to me eight weeks ago, I would have been like, are we are we are we getting rid of this guy? <laughs> Uh, consistency in Josh Proctor has been one of the. Uh, there's those stupid pop-ups again that happened during the Letterman Lounge. If I put two thumbs up, um, that fireworks show up behind me. I don't know what that's about. Um, it's a really weird thing with StreamYard. I got to get figured out. Uh, Matt and I had a blast with it on the Letterman Lounge. Go check out the recruiting show on YouTube. Uh, but uh, yeah, and Josh Proctor, man, it's it's the story of the year so far for this defense, in my opinion. The, the emergence of him as a, a consistent playmaker. We all knew what he could do. Um, on any given play, but we also knew what he could do on any given play. And uh, now we kind of know what he's going to do on every given play, and that's a big deal. And to know that you've got that security in Josh Proctor right now, the way he's playing, that's pretty big.
0: Absolutely. He's seen every shade of this Ohio State defense. He's been around for so many different coordinators, so many different systems. To see it kind of come together while he's kind of coming together –
1: that's pretty cool. I would completely agree. Do you, do you want to do, you do our sport predictions on here to give the people, or do you? Would you rather uh, save that for for the bull predictions video on Friday? Make we the people
0: bowl predictions, but you got to give people a reason to watch, right? Yeah, let's do that. We do man. have to go through all the the games, right? We got to pick out your picks, but then also the games we want to watch this weekend.
1: Oh man, I'm so glad you asked for my picks because last week, Andy. Last week your boy on the messy note card went 5 and 0. Oh. 5 and 0. Oh. We hit them over 64 and a half LSU Missouri. We hit the BC money line. Look at that helmet up there. That looks not so nice on the shelf against Army. Texas Tech minus one and a half against Baylor. Arizona plus 21 and a half against Alex Grinch and USC cuz USC's defense stinks. And then we hit the over 53 and a half in Notre Dame Louisville. We didn't need Notre Dame to win. We just needed them to them to hit that sweet, sweet over. That's what we did. Well, Ohio some... State. Ohio State might have needed Notre Dame to win. <laughs> All right. But you didn't. Here we go. All right. Rutgers. Michigan State. Rutgers minus four and a half. I'm Michigan State's bad. It's bad. They've compl- I, I think we're ready to use that uh, that Q word nobody wants to use in college football, man. Like it's bad.
0: Well, Rutgers making a bowl.
1: Probably. Hopefully. Yeah. Bowling Rutgers. Uh wouldn't it be strum bowling ruckers since they're in New Jersey? Too far. Too far. All right. Uh Oregon plus two and a half. Sorry. Uh, I'm I'm on the Ducks this week. I, I think even though it's in Seattle, I'll take the Ducks. BYU plus – what's that? That's my CFP
0: pick. They're actually both of ours. Go ahead
1: ahead. Yeah, I, I got Oregon. You've got Washington. I can't take Washington in this game if I'm going to have Oregon make the, the CFP. Uh, BYU plus five and a half because TCU stinks and doesn't have its starting quarterback. Um, TCU should not be favored in this game. Excuse me, so I'll take the Cougs plus five and a half. North Carolina minus three and a half against Miami. Take a knee. Maybe I'll pick you. We don't have to talk about it, but we kind of have to talk Like Take a knee.
0: That was head-scratching, to say the least. Uh, I guess Mario Cristobal fell on the sword because then the offense coordinator came out and said it was my call, but... I think that's really on the head coach, too. Like, it's on everyone, man. I mean, when when every single player knows, like, this is not the right thing to do and the coaching staff
1: doesn't, not a good book. Take a knee. <laughs> it's, it's so dumb. The dumbest, the dumbest thing they could have done. Take a knee. Uh, and then Alabama, Arkansas, over 46 and a half. Arkansas stinks out loud. But Alabama's offense is figuring some stuff out. Alabama's offense is still trying to figure things out, maybe get a defensive score for Arkansas, but these teams always kind of play. I think it was like a, a shootout last year. It was like 46 to 20 or something like that. Um, So, yeah, I think I think Arkansas is kind of bad, but I also think Alabama can take advantage of that, and I think Arkansas might be able to score a couple times, push that over. They'll take those. Uh, so we got Rutgers, Oregon, BYU, North Carolina, and Alabama, Arkansas over because we don't like rooting for unders. Do you, do you ever sit and watch a game and be like, man, I hope this game goes under. That would be so fun.
0: No. I mean, I do like good defense, but that's only yeah. if the game is like started off where it's low scoring and then like by halftime, like, you know what? I like a good defensive game. But I never go into a game being like, oh, I hope it's a 6-3 game by third quarter. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe some people are built like that. I, maybe if you play defense in college or pro or whatever, maybe that's the way you look at the game, but not me.
1: No. There's no reason to lose a game like that. What do you want to watch? I just spent, I think, five minutes gloating about my picks. What do you want to watch?
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like we were kind of spoiled last week with that kind of slate. Um, I don't know. This time around, Oregon-Washington definitely is the headliner for me, 330 game on ABC. Uh, again, we already mentioned, like we think that both those teams are going to make CFP. I think Washington, Spencer thinks Oregon. Not both of them, but one of them, at least for each of us. And so that's a game I'm going to be watching, Pac-12. I love it this year. Uh, also on the agenda for me is definitely USC Notre Dame. Uh, I think that Ohio State needs a win for Notre Dame. Notre Dame dropping to 4-3 and three makes that win. South Bend look significantly less uh, important on that resume for the CFP. And I think USC has looked so vulnerable to this point that can they get away with another win? I don't know, but I'm watching that one for sure. Those are two games that stick out to me.
1: Just two? You only got two? Who's Bob BC playing? I,
0: I, I, can, I can pull out another. Um, I feel like BC this week is – uh I think they might have a bot. Might be off. Let me look. But, yeah, while, while I'm looking this up, what games pique your interest?
1: Uh, the Bobcats going on the road in Northern Illinois. Listen, DeColbe is a house of horrors, man. I went up there my senior year of college – uh, with P. um the minister of NIL, and he—he uh, he and I had a good time in Decal, but also, buddy, let me tell you, um, it's always windy, it's always rainy, and the Bobcats always lose. So Ohio needs to win the MAC this year. It's the best chance they've had. They haven't won it since 1968. Nobody wants to hear me talk about the MAC, but I'm definitely paying attention to Ohio Northern Illinois. And then I'm sure that we'll have the Oregon Washington game on the end of that. And then the rest of the game on, on Saturday, the rest of the games, the late slate on, on our phones, on the laptop, whatever, as we're driving back from West Lafayette. So whatever's on at 7:30 and is able and has the ability to be streamed uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, peacock for USC Notre Dame. Um, we'll be on, we'll be watching. I'm sure.
0: Well, okay. So to answer the question, BC is on by, and I'm not going crazy. So that's what I thought. Secondly, that game you're talking about, the Wolf Stream, is UCLA, Oregon State. That's Our an beats. Yes, that's at 8 p.m. on Fox. Tristan Jebia's former team, as all Ohio State fans know. Uh, yes. More importantly, DJ Uwe Ungale's team right now. Oregon State Beavers against UCLA Bruins. That's 8 p.m. Fox. That's an 18 5 matchup, Spencer. That's a pretty good top 20 matchup there.
1: Pac-12. Uh, two two pac 12 notes before we get out of here. Washington, Oregon is the first game between five and O or better Pac-12 teams uh, since 2004, um, which is just insane and probably part of the reason why the league has crumbled. Um, and then the second thing is take the UCLA, Oregon State under. And that's, I didn't, It's not an official play on the card, but
0: um, yeah, you'll I'm count a- it if it works, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, if, it, if I go six and then I'll go six and yeah. But if they lose, I'm not counting it. So, uh. Andy, what do you say we get out of here? Go watch uh, Dana Holgerson against his former team, West Virginia. Um, that's where I'm heading. I don't know about you.
0: I'm watching the Phillies. So, the Phillies <laughs> gonna win? You
1: got the Phillies? Oh
0: yeah, 100. Uh, it would be treason if I uh, if I didn't treason <laughs> betrayal. Now, yeah, Phillies, Phillies in four. So, if the
1: Phillies win,
0: yeah. There was a split second where I was like, hey, can I get back to Philadelphia for this? But there there's no way I was going to do that. And then get to West Lafayette tomorrow, which is where we're headed. Excited for week seven. Uh, Let's get out of here, Spencer.
1: Yeah, what do you say we get out of here and go cover Ohio State versus Purdue? Noon on Peacock. Andy and I will be there. Tim May will be there. Matt Parker's got a lot of recruiting stuff coming. $1 for the first month. We'll talk about pricing after that. Come join the party at lettermanroad.com. We'll see you guys over there.